0: Hello and welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Here is the next instalment of the Gourmet Gospel, starting section 9. Enjoy! Section 9. The Enemies of Grace Quotes The devil is won't, in affliction and in the conflict of conscience, by the law to make us afraid, and to lay against us the guilt of sin, that by this means he may drive us to desperation, make us bond slaves to himself, and pluck us from Christ. Martin Luther The evil one will play the ventriloquist. He'll whisper to you as if he were the voice of God. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. John Eldridge, Wild at Heart As slaves to righteousness, with the mind of Christ, why aren't we all just living lives of glorious freedom now, without a care in the world? Well, every good story needs a villain. There are many examples in the Bible, from Pharaoh, to Saul, to Jezebel. But rising to prominence in the New Testament, of course, is Satan, where he appears to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and ends up in a sulfurous predicament in the Book of Revelation. This character has fired the minds of mythmakers and storytellers ever since. Dante's depiction in Inferno is rather two-dimensional, but in Paradise Lost, John Milton creates a rich and complex anti-hero. I have also written Satan into my own epic poems, especially Obama's Dream, where the confrontations are closely modelled on scenes in the Bible. In one episode in particular, entitled A Courtroom Drama, I have created Inverse, a high-stakes narrative that draws on the analysis below. If you would like a free copy of Obama's Dream, you can get one by joining my readers list at poetprophet.com. Scripture informs us that Satan was a high-ranking angel in heaven, until he went for a power grab that led to his banishment. He then fell like lightning from heaven, along with his followers, into a place called Tartarus. There, he established a throne from which he orchestrates his campaign of vengeance. Affronted by the very idea that we should abandon ourselves to the love of Christ, Satan is in the paradise-spoiling business, and though his power be proscribed, he can still be effective in stealing joy and even manages to show up occasionally in assemblies before God. His chief tactics are masquerading as an angel of light, spawning lies, and accusing the faithful. In the lateral, Satan will typically resort to microscopic inspections, straining out gnats to repeat the metaphor Christ used, even suggesting our acts of devotion and generosity are misdirected. In his economy, The young boy and girl I described earlier, who in an act of great love pooled their pocket money to buy the cheapest camera in the store, see the gospel of immaculate intention above, would have been criticised for not giving away that money to the poor. Yet Satan's defeat is writ large, not just in his exile from heaven, not just in his fiery demise in the book of Revelation, but centrally in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I refer again to Paul's great ringing declaration in his second letter to the Colossians. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thus, in the same breath, Paul tells us that Christ disarmed both the law and the satanic powers, so there must be a close connection between the two. Satan in the Court of Heaven Satan has taken to his role of accuser as a full time job, and not content with condemning a group, he sets himself up as judge, jury, and executioner against individuals, even by name and the resulting putrescence drips onto his targets as anxiety, dread, and despair. See the awful orphans above. He is also like the inner prosecutor described by psychologists. So critical, so biased, and so impossible to please, that it is more appropriately called a prosecutor than a judge. A judge hears evidence from all sides and tries to make a fair decision A prosecutor wants to prove guilt and only produces evidence that will help fix blame. And an inner prosecutor has free reign to make vicious personal attacks whenever it likes. It acts as no friend would, hitting in the aftermath of disappointment, offering no consolation or encouragement for the future. Job, it appears, was similarly afflicted. His physical and material sufferings at the hands of Satan boils, sores, loss of wealth, loss of family, are set out in the book that bears his name. But his psychological sufferings are paramount, believing that God is watching him minutely, searching out his faults and probing after his sin so that he will not go unpunished. People who have grown up in a condemning family environment may be especially vulnerable to such tormenting thought patterns because they were conditioned to internalize the voice of an unpleasable parent, a voice that may even come to masquerade as that of God and conscience. Now the question arises, given that this adversary has already lost at Calvary the great battle of all time, given that his final demise is written, and that our souls are bought for eternal life, why would he bother to expend such vast amounts of energy and resources on trying to thwart our peace of mind. The answer is perhaps best encapsulated as spite, which spurs the jealous sprite, having forever renounced true liberty for himself, to keep it from others if he can. Counsel for the Defence Quotes Even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man he pleads with God, as a man pleads for his friend. Job sixteen nineteen to 21 The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. But the Lord will not leave them in their power, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Psalm 37 thirty two to thirty three I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. isaiah fifty seven to nine. The courtroom drama does not end, however, with Satan bringing his charges against us. Objection rings out across the universe. Who has uttered it? None other than the Lord of hosts, Christ himself, our intercessor and our friend, the most passionate, determined and quick-witted advocate ever to address a bench. He it is who rises to our defense, stands at our right hand to save us, takes hold of our hand and says... Do not fear, I will help you. Witness Christ's rhetorical punch on behalf of the woman caught in adultery. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees made her stand before the group and said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, Confronted here with the unflinching death sentence of the law of Moses, Jesus merely needs to invite anyone who would be judged by the same law to throw the first stone. Here is a foretaste, not just of Christ's cancellation of the written code, but also of the public spectacle he would make of the condemning powers and authorities at Calvary. And do you think you could now find those words Jesus wrote in the sand? Of course not. Like the written code of the law, they have been erased. Bear in mind, too, that Jesus is not just more powerful than our accuser, but smarter, and his wit and wisdom resonate in all the great legal defenses of history and drama. In the account of Susanna in the Apocrypha, for example, the prophet Daniel proves her innocence by separating the two Pharisees bearing false witness against her and exposing the contradictions in their testimonies. In Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, probably the most famous fictional court case of all time, we have in Portia a second Daniel, who completely turns the tables on the murderous legalist Shylock, not just getting his apparently cast-iron case thrown out, but stripping him of every penny of his wealth in the process. But my favourite defence of all requires no clever arguments or witty ripostes to clear the accused, in this case the high priest Joshua, as described in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Doesn't get any clearer than that. Though Christ can easily outsmart Satan if he wishes, he can just as easily invoke the innocent-because-I-say-so argument. Hence Paul's rhetorical questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? Answer to all of the above, no one. Evicting the Evidence They cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Acts 24:13 Let's take another look at the recently quoted and requoted Colossians 2:14, revisiting it through the lens of the Phillips Bible. Christ has utterly wiped out all the damning evidence of broken laws and commands which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. This version makes explicit what other versions imply, that Christ has not only taken away the law, but with it any evidence of its transgression. We who are in Christ may envisage a permanent force field around us, stretching to infinity, by which no evidence can ever touch us. Imagine Satan has scrutinized and monitored our lives in the minutest detail, peeped through every keyhole, eavesdropped and recorded every conversation, poured through our browsing histories, filmed us in secret, collected samples, and assembled all his allegations into a weighty file. Now proud prosecutor, he struts toward the bench and declares, I present to the court, pauses for effect, then continues, Exhibit A. Muffled laughter is heard in the courtroom, Satan looks down. To his horror, the table he expected to see laden with all kinds of evidence is completely bare. Determined to maintain his dignity, he continues, I refer the court to the list of witnesses. I call on. With that, he looks down at a thick pile of papers in his hand. But they are blank, no names listed. Befuddled, he turns them over to look at the other side. Blank also. Now the courtroom breaks out into open laughter. A voice like rushing waters speaks from the bench. It appears, counsel, that you have no case. Now the laughter is at fever pitch, loud guffaws humiliating the prosecutor. But, but, but! He stammers. Case dismissed. Thus is Satan, laughed out of court, his law of sin and death effortlessly eclipsed by the love that keeps no record of wrongs, and by the ruling that no one can stand against us. Meanwhile, Christ himself is witness for our defense. And all this is played out before a throne of grace that we may approach with confidence, where mercy triumphs over judgment Presided over by he who is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love and Where ultimately judgment is entrusted back to jesus our defense counsel and our defense witness in short we are accused in a courtroom by a prosecutor with no evidence and no witnesses and Defended by a smarter and more powerful advocate who is also witness on our behalf moreover that advocate is our brother, and we are both sons of the judge. In other words, the system is completely rigged in our favour. The Vindicating Verdict Quote If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he will not bother you again. 2 Samuel fourteen ten. To recap There is now no condemnation, nor ever will be, for those who are in Christ, who is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. None can bring any charge against us, and in the end, when Jesus asks each of us, Has no one condemned you? We too may answer, No one. Our innocence is established for all time. We are declared righteous, holy, blameless, not guilty— Jesus' righteousness is our righteousness. We are vindicated. We are presented in heaven without blemish and freed from accusation, and heaven celebrates with shouts of joy and gladness. Satan, meanwhile, who has been sinning from the beginning, will himself stand condemned. Like the aforementioned Shylock, he ends up getting justice more than thou desirest, or, like wily Coyote in his futile attempts to nail Roadrunner in the Looney Tunes series, he ends up staring down the barrel of his own gun. He is not just defeated, but humiliated and exposed for the fraud he is. Christ has made a public spectacle of him, hence the mocking refrain, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Spiritual Toilet Humor To underscore the humiliation of the accuser, I would like to quote a phrase popular in England. But before I get to that, let me recount a political joke I enjoyed back in 1986 when election campaigning in Fulham, London, for the newly formed Social Democratic Party, SDP, which later merged with the Liberal Party to form the Liberal Democrats. The rival Labour Party candidate was Nick Rainsford, whose chief virtue was that he lived in the district. Thus his campaign posters declared, Nick Rainsford lives here. But at STP headquarters, some jokester had pasted one of these posters onto the toilet door. It's an outcome similar to the fate accorded the Temple of Baal, destroyed by Jehu, God's avenger against the house of Ahab and Jezebel, in the ancient kingdom of Israel. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and people have used it as a latrine to this day. Thus we have assigned to the two Nicks, Rainsford of Fulham and Old Nick of Scripture the status of toilet idols which brings me to that phrase I was thinking of to describe Satan's efforts to condemn us Pissing in the wind. You've been listening to my audiobook recording of The Gourmet Gospel. You can find the links to get your copy by going to my website, poetprophet.com, where prophet spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Until next week, this has been Abdiel LeRoy.